Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. This is the Rookie Snapshot Edition. Eric Edholm, the Yahoo Sports Draft Expert, and myself, Liz Loza, are back to do another episode. Um, Eric, I'm excited for this episode because this is kind of a grab bag, right? Yep. We've got a little uh, little bit of this, a little bit of that. I feel bad that we kind of squeeze the tight ends out of the equation, but if there was ever a year to do it, I think it's this one. There's just too many unknowns at that position. I think we made a good call on that one. Yeah, there's a kid out of Notre Dame and whoever else the Bears choose to draft. So, Yeah, and it'll be a Division II kid who uh, you know can't, can't seem to find the field in his first couple of years. Is that what you're, you're kind of getting out there? I mean, I lived through the Adam <laughs> Shaheen years. <laughs> Oh, what an era. Who could who could forget those years, right? <laughs> but we are going to talk. We are going to talk about three receivers because there's been so much talk in general about how this class is particularly deep. There's one guy that we're going to round out those three with, actually, that a lot of people believe to be a first-round talent, but he probably will slip to the second round. And then we're going to talk about two running backs who are similar in stature but have people very divided about their potential at the next level. So um, kicking things off, let's start with Jalen Rager, TCU. He, you know, it was interesting because at the Combine, he was blowing it up the first two days. I mean, his vert score uh, was awesome, the, the long jump. But then when it came to the 40, and this is a kid who's got quicks, he just, didn't really get over the hump in the way a lot of people anticipated. Now, were you in Indianapolis? Remind me. Yeah, I was. I was there. And uh, and yeah, you're right. I mean, he. I think he overtrained for the jumping drills and may have added too much weight. And that's why you saw just slightly disappointing 40 score and then also a, a really sort of stunning three-cone drill. And I know that's a number you pay a lot of attention to. That was the number that I thought he would get sub seven seconds and what was he a seven three four something Mm. like that it was it was not a great time for for the type of player he is well and it's interesting too because this kid has nfl bloodlines his dad uh was monte rager who was a d lineman for the broncos and the colts before uh a brutal frankly car accident really ended his career he had one more season with the eagles i believe but i I do think he won he was given a ring because he was part of that colts 2006 super bowl squad where in fact they did beat the bears in miami um but you know you think a kid with and his he's from texas originally south suburbs of dallas his his uh high school football coach was john kitna so this kid certainly has a lot of um ties to the nfl so I do think it's interesting that clearly among the coaching, whether it came from Kitner or his dad, we've got to make sure that your vert skills and your jumping drills are on point. And I, and I wonder if he was, in fact, you're right, overcoached in those ways. Um, or he felt confident enough that you can see on the tape that he is quick as can be. So why sweat it? Yeah, no, and he, he worked with a trainer named David Robinson, not the former Spurs center, but a, mm-hmm. a, a famous Dallas area trainer has worked with a lot of NFL players and, you know, a lot of wide receivers too as well. And, you know, I talked to David, I talked to Monte Rager, I, you know, I talked to Jalen at the Combine and, and he they were all expecting a big performance. And so they were half right. You know, I mean, I thought he looked fine in the drills and he was really good, obviously, in those jumping uh, numbers, but you know, I think he could have made up for it at his pro day with, with some better three-cone times and a better 40. When watching that tape, what was the first word that came to your mind? 
Yeah, it was dynamic. I mean, that's the first word that I think of. And, and just the ability, especially with all the constraints, and we're going to get into this a little later, but the TCU offense the last couple of years, quarterback issues, play calling issues, personnel issues, they were all clear. You know, this is a team that had to win games on defense, didn't have the success it normally did. And frankly, they just they had trouble getting him the ball. But when they did, they were rewarded with breathtaking plays where he could catch the ball two yards behind the line of scrimmage and all of a sudden scoot 30 yards down the field. And he was great at tracking the ball down the field as well. So dynamic. He can, he can win in a lot of different ways. And that was the first thing I thought of. What, what was your one word to describe him? Filthy. Just filthy. <laughs> I mean, I actually wrote down filthy and then my son, who's six, uh, I have a six-year-old boy. So anybody uh-huh. who's ever raised a boy, you know that they never stay still. So I wrote down his name with an exclamation point <laughs> because it feels like he is constantly in motion. His legs yes. are churning. It is a blur of, you know, whether purple or white, depending on whether he was away or home for the Horn Frogs. Um, it is worth mentioning that in 2018, despite the quarterback troubles um, and the touches that absolutely did have to be made manufactured for him he uh, still became the first TCU receiver since Josh Doxon to top a thousand yards Um, but yes to me it was filthy he does not stop I liked the energy I love like the peace sign that he throws up the way he pulls away from defenders there is definitely and it's also not just a mess. It's not just chaos. It's very um, precise. It's focused. It is as I want to say that you can see definitely this kid was a track star, right? But not yep. just in speed. He's got, I believe uh, he was a state long jump tra- mm-hmm. champion in high school. Um, and so you see all of that background really come together on the field for him. Yeah, he's a special player. And, you know, y- you wonder what he would do if he had a quarterback who could get him the ball. And so, I mean, people who just look at the stats, and I know you're going to get into this, you know, might come away disappointed. Oh, he had a, he really regressed in his final year in school. That's not, in my opinion, the proper way to frame it. I think you have to watch the tape with him to really appreciate how good he is. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that and how his stats are not illustrative of his full skill set or potential because the stat that I want to use the key stat that I think you need to know and this is per Chris Trappis who's an NFL draft writer for CBS Sports he tweeted this so I want to credit him um Jalen Rager accounted for basically the same percentage of TCU's total receiving yards, 25%, as Justin Jefferson did for LSU this past season. Now, Rager had 611 yards in 2019. Again, that's 25% of TCU's total. And Justin Jefferson, who we talked on uh, our first episode of the Rookie Snapshot Pod, 1,500, little over 1,500 yards, and that was 25.5%. So again... What these, what he did, we, well, the thing we talked about Jefferson, I mean, your word was reliable. I think I said productive. Like mm-hmm. this is one of the most, pro- the, Justin Jefferson was one of the most productive receivers uh, among in 2019. And yet he's doing the same amount of work percentage wise that Rager was doing for TCU. Yeah, right. You got to think in like market share terms here. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, two and a half times the yards for Justin Jefferson. What would, you know, Rager have done had he had he had Joe Burrow throwing the ball, and likewise, you know, if, if uh, Max Duggan was playing quarterback at LSU, would Justin Jefferson have anywhere close to a thousand yards? I don't know. He was a freshman quarterback thrown into the mix. So, yeah, my need to know stat plays along that same theme, which is, and I read it, and I had to go back and make sure that it was correct. I even checked with the PFF guys, like, is this right? It was such an outlier that I had to make sure it was correct. According to PFF, Rager's targets this year, only 30.4%, under 31%, were considered, quote-unquote, on target, meaning within his catch frame, something that he could have reasonably caught. Now, for comparison, we went and, I went and tracked all the other receivers who I even considered for, the, uh, for my top 100 list, my big board for the draft, and none of them were lower than 42%. Funny you mentioned Jefferson. Because he was all the way almost to 70%. He was like 69.3 or something. So, you know, again, if you just look at it on the surface, yeah, the production was good, you know, good as a sophomore, not too good as a junior. I think you're missing the big picture with him and that, that it was very hard for them to get him the ball. And they finally started putting him in the backfield and giving him some end arounds and things like that. About midseason, they figured it out. We need to get him touches. And, and it finally started paying off a little bit. 
So let's talk about those manufactured touches because I think, I mean, that did way into the comparison that I made. Um, yeah. But it's also, you know, we, when we talked about Cam Akers last week, we talked about how he's developed some bad habits as a result of the O-line he had. And so some of the cons while he was efforting um, are due to a really obvious problem. Now, ob- I think another obvious problem for Rager is the weapons at his disposal, the quarterback, the offense in general. There are these manufactured touches which he like you said sold completely I mean you have to watch this guy's tape I mean there was lots of times that I was ooing and awing at, at different motions but also he didn't get that many reps as a quote true number one receiver yeah. and so there is a, a bit of a feeling that um he maybe relies on his physical talents over technique and you talk about the off target percentage um concentration and drops were part of this. Now, who chicken or egg, Amen. which one of these is to blame, right? So uh, what do you think in terms of his development or ability to make an immediate impact, especially for fantasy players? Because if this kid might be a little bit more raw than we're, than we're hoping he could be because he's just not really been in a typical NFL pro-style offense, right? you know, or, or do you think like in the right situation – He's got enough technique, and we just haven't seen it. And again, mentioning all of the ties to the NFL and the bloodlines. Yeah, no, I definitely think he's got to improve some of his kind of, you know, route perfection and, you know, kind of learning how to set up defensive backs, body position. Because, look, he's going to be small compared yeah. to even some of the cornerbacks he faces. And and I definitely think frustration set in, in it with him last year. Talking to the people around him that I mentioned earlier – you know, getting the sense when I talked to Rager at the Combine as well, you could tell when you're running routes and getting open and not getting the ball, it's going to be frustrated. Wide receivers especially seem to have that that genetic disposition, right? So I sense that was part of it. I think, let's just say hypothetically, he goes to the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees is quarterback and he's putting the ball on his hands every single time. I think the light is going to go off for him. He's going to say, aha, now I've got to hold up my end of the bargain. And that means running the crispest routes possible and doing exactly what my coaches are asking for. You know, I'm not making excuses for the kids. I'm just saying it should be night and day as long as he has a quarterback who knows how to put it where where they need to put it. So who are you comparing him to? Yeah, it reminded me so much watching his tape of DJ Moore, who when he came out, you know, you watch him at Maryland, they ran through eight different quarterbacks in his three years. None of them were effective. I mean, none of them, you know, even sniffed the NFL. And it was the same kind of deal. They had to line him up as a wildcat quarterback. They had to put him in the backfield, use him in motion, you know, kind of trick open ways to to get him into the flat and things like that. So it felt very similar. He might not be, you know, quite, quite as thick as, I think Moore was only a little, a few few pounds heavier, but you know, kind of that Steve Smith type of playmaker. So DJ Moore is my comp for him. And, you know, he topped a thousand yards last year. It wasn't even a great season for the Panthers. So he's one of those players who can maybe be a little bit quarterback proof as well. I think it's interesting that you chose a Panther because I chose the other Carolina Panther as his comp, Curtis Samuel. And I admitted, right, that some of this, when Curtis Samuel came into the league, people were comping him to Ty Montgomery as one of these, at the time, wide receiver running back hybrids. Now, Samuel has obviously perfected his route technique and become much more than just a gadget guy. And I think that Rager has the ability to do that, as you er- said earlier. Also, size-wise, Samuel is 5'11 and 196. So he yep. and Rager are the same height, but Rager's got about 10 pounds on him. Samuel is a little bit faster if we're looking at those 40 scores, 4'3", compared to uh, Rager's 4'4", 4, 4, But, you know, I-, I just think that this is a very interesting – I mean, I like we both kind of went for measurable guys with high athletic ceilings. Yep. And when we talk about the quarterback situation, though, Teddy Bridgewater is is pretty safe right here. So, I I mean, I think either one of them, if if he were to land in, uh, he won't land in Carolina, but this is, I I just think it's interesting that you've got a safe quarterback there now and also two uh, receivers that can complement that. Yeah. And and I mean, look, I, I, I thought about what, who are the teams where he could really make a difference. I mentioned the Saints. Do I really think they're going to take him in round one? Probably not. You know, they, they've added to the position with, with Emmanuel Sanders, et cetera. So, uh, you know, that was more of an example. And I, 
the team I picked for my team fit, I'm cheating a little bit because I used them previously. But I think if the Eagles pass on a wide receiver in round one, and I suspect Rager's going to be there in round two. Could he be a first? Maybe. If he is, it's late. I think the Philadelphia Eagles, if he's somehow still there in the in the early 50s where they pick in round two, you know, that's another slot option that I think would help them a lot and still give them the kind of the vertical speed that they need. So, you know, realistically, he could fit. He could take Brandon Cook's role in L.A. You know, I mean, he could do he could fit in a lot of different styles of offenses. But that's one that kind of came to mind as a, a sort of a plan B for a team that doesn't use a first round pick on a wide receiver. So I agree with almost everything you said, except I think he fits into any offense with a creative play caller. True. Yep. I, I don't want to see this guy, for instance, in Denver with Fangio, right? <laughs> like that that's not what I'm looking for. But I agree that he has the ability and the ceiling and the potential. Uh, but he needs somebody who can use his otherworldly athleticism. And that is why, in fact, I have him landing in New Orleans because nobody loves a damn gadget like Sean Payton. I agree that it's probably a stretch that he will go uh what at the t- the 24th overall pick of the draft. Right. But especially after the Emmanuel Sanders trade. But I can see a situation where Sanders is, what, 32 years old now? Sure. Um, And maybe Sean Payton. He just, he just, you know, he got over coronavirus. He's counting <laughs> his blessings. He wants to get some fun back in him. And no player is going to be more fun at the receiver position for a mind like Payton's than I think uh, Rager will be. So, plus, you know, we're both, we're comping him to two of the Panthers receivers. And maybe Payton's got a little bit of jealousy as a division rival looking at what, looking at what uh, the Panthers have to play with. They took his quarterback, right? They took Teddy. He paid him good money as a backup. You know, he hates to see that. But when you have the kind of love that Peyton does for Taysom Hill, it's going to be hard to keep all that quarterback love together. At some point, you got to love him and let him go, I guess. Well, also, I mean, that might be the gadget that he keeps this year and passing on on Rager in the first round. Excellent point there. Uh, So we talked about Rager's background as a track athlete and how that showed up on the field. Let's talk about T. Higgins out of Clemson, who was a basketball standout in high school. And that skill set and ability to box out certainly, I believe, shows up on the field for him. Um, interesting side note about this guy too. Uh, he skipped the on-field workouts at the NFL combine because, you know, he he was obviously in the, in the natty. So against, um, against LSU. And so he felt, felt like he didn't have enough time to physically recover and practice appropriately, train appropriately for the combine. So he was, however, one of the few teams that I believe was able to perform at Clemson's pro day, which was like an early March before everything really went sideways. And he did run a, uh, a 4.5440 yard dash inside the Tigers practice facility. Uh, It was March 12th, actually. So we do have a 40 time on him. He did sneak in. I'm kind of surprised. I feel like that was a low 40 time. He definitely plays faster on tape than that time to me uh, would, would, would convey. Yeah. And especially when you consider that scouts around the NFL feel that Clemson's 40 yard dash is maybe, maybe closer to a 39.2 yard dash. Mm. There have been rumors for years that maybe their times are a little off. So that even makes it maybe even more of a a strange case, but yeah, he's a, he's a fluid runner. I mean, he's a smooth guy. I mean, he, I like the way he moves for a, you know, almost six foot four, 220 pound guy. Um, but to me, the, the, the trait that stood out the, the, the most for him watching him was the length. And that was my one word was, you know, watching him go up in the air, kind of like we saw with Mike Williams in college and, and also with the Chargers now in the NFL, just his ability to high point, you know, and they would throw up those those 50-50 balls that really were 80-20 because he had the ability to <laughs> box out and just go rebound the ball, like you said, uh, Mr. Basketball in Tennessee growing up. He was a special athlete in high school, but uh, I just, I love that ability for him. And I think it translates, even if, even if the speed is questioned on some level. I think you're right. And my word was not, you wrote long, I wrote stretch. So it's the same thing, the ability to high point, the ability to, you know, we were just talking about the Panthers and I'm thinking about Cam Newton, who obviously isn't with them anymore, but like the ability to have a skyscraper help out a quarterback who is at times a little high and wild, right? Like that's what 
this kid Higgins can do. Um, also, he's got legs for days. My goodness. <laughs> just, I mean, just watching him, he like gallops down the field. And, and maybe that's a mirage and what makes him look so much faster than he may or may not be. But I agree with you. Um, you know, there is a little bit of a trouble with his route tree. It was a bit lim- limited. And he does yes. seem to struggle in short to intermediate situations. So I think there, this is going to have to be a, a rapport-dependent producer, especially if you're trying to, you know, project from a fantasy per, for, from a fantasy perspective. Right, and you know, and there may be a little bit of a learning curve too because he was just more physically blessed than a lot of the DBs he faced, and yet sure. there were some times when he faced up against some of the stronger corners in college football, and you could see, you know, he wasn't as easily able to uh, box those guys out and and gain position and things like that. And he couldn't burn past certain guys. So, you know, as gifted as he is, um, I I still think he could probably use a year in an NFL strength and and training uh, program and kind of work on the speed and the quickness, you know, sharpen up that route running ability and also get a little stronger. I mean, that was the one thing Mm -hmm. that he was just sort of more of that that pogo stick out there who could make those kind of plays. And and now I think, you know, it's going to rely on him being a little more technically precise. But you're right. It's when you have an 81 inch you know, wingspan the way he does and readjusting to the ball the way he did. I mean, like that that alone is going to serve him very well. If, a if lot the of patience right there. Yeah. Right? Like I yeah. feel like the patience in ball tracking, he doesn't seem to fidget. He's very calm and then does manage to to climb the ladder. So um, or doesn't even need to climb it, really. He just is the <laughs> ladder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we talked about the struggles in short to intermediate passing, but you and I both found stats that exemplified his ability to excel as a red zone weapon. Why don't you give yours first? Yeah, 27 touchdowns tied the career lead with or in the, the school lead, rather program high with DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. I mean, look, different eras, different quarterbacks, the whole bit. I mean, it's not exactly a you know, apples to apples comparison, but it shows that, you know, Clemson has produced some incredible wide receiver talent over the years. And, you know, there is some real translation from, from college to the pros, whereas we were a little bit suspicious at one point about, you know, how the, those kind of athletes made it to the NFL and thrive. We don't have those questions anymore. I'm not saying every wide receiver from Clemson comes in ready-made, but I do believe that, you know, he packed in as much experience in three years as possible and, you know, from a physical standpoint, all the things we just mentioned is ready to go. And especially in the red zone. I think that's really where he's going to end up being a valuable target. So, you know, Liz, he could have a, a rookie year where he catches 45 balls, but seven or eight of them could be touchdowns. Great. So, you know, that makes some fantasy relevant right there. I agree. I, my my need to know stat is that he scored a touchdown on 20% of his catches at Clemson, which is wow. bananas. And just to throw in, you know, we, we're talking about touchdowns. You talked about touchdowns. He also averaged 12.82 yards per target in 2019, mm. which was wide receiver four among uh, receivers in 2019. And that to me also exemplifies that he is such an awesome downfield weapon. And that is how we should, to translate it further, anticipate him being used at the next level. Absolutely. No question about it. And that and that was the thing with my comp. I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to sort of get it. We've talked about this in the past two, uh, you know, editions here where, you know, finding the right comp is important. Style-wise, I, I kind of like my comp, but I also have to sort of clarify in the sense that I'm not calling him A.J. Green. But I'm saying he can win in some of the same ways that AJ Green does. Actually, he, you know, he plays similar to Mike Williams, who I mentioned earlier. But mm-hmm. so I'm going to call him AJ Green Light. You know, Green got those vertical routes. He won in the air, all those different things. I just don't think Higgins is as quick, precise, or fast, or quite as reliable as Green was. So I'm not talking about a top five prospect here. I, I know he's going in the second round, but style wise, there's some similarities there. So that's sort of what I what I came up with as a, as a downfield weapon. And I think that's a great comp for ceiling too, right? Like this is where this guy can get to. And could, yep. I, I think sometimes we like my, my comp is probably the like right now comp. I, I comped him to Preston Williams who flashed and broke out for the dolphins. A lot of people compared him to Devonte Parker, but I actually felt like Williams was more apt to where he is right now. I agree with you that he can get to AJ green, but for right now I just kept seeing. And by the way, you know, you play too much fantasy when you're like, Oh, this guy's Preston Williams. This is definitely the, the first <laughs> word that like the name I'm putting down. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's the same. Williams and, and Higgins are the same height. Uh, Williams is about five pounds less than um, than than T Higgins. Their measurables are similar. I just think when you're looking right now, there's going to be some rawness. But you're, I love what you said earlier. He may only catch 45 balls, but seven of them are going to be in the red zone and he's going to bring them down. And he is going to be like one of those post, if he can stay healthy, one of those post hype sleepers for the next, you know, 20, 2021 season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's still young. He's 21 years old, doesn't turn 22, I don't think, till the end of the year. Three years removed from high school, played a lot of high level football, though. And if you don't thrust him into a role, where he's expected to be a volume guy year one, or he's expected to be the number one target. I don't want him to go to a place where he's the only guy. You know what I mean? Like a, mm-hmm. the, the most wide receiver star of team. I want a team to pick him because he's a damn good player and he's still on the board and we've got a pick coming up. You know what I mean? So that's kind of yeah. what I was thinking a little bit. Who did you have for your comp? Though? I mean, what, what, what are you thinking as far as a placement for, not a comp, but I mean a team fit rather. A landing spot? Um, yeah. So I initially thought Houston was going to be a great place to go. But then, you know, B.O.B. did his thing, and now it's Brandon Cook. So I don't think that the need for a a receiver, I don't think that the the Texans are going to draft a receiver that high. So I am a little bit stumped. I decided to go with the Colts. um, because I can see it. You know, you've got got T.Y. aging a bit and – Sure, Paris Campbell is still a thing, but how many times are we going to run it back to Dontrell Inman? You know, how many how many times <laughs> we got to do this? So I think that yeah. if you need a guy who can high point, especially if you're looking at so many times last season, Phillip Rivers, admittedly behind a much worse offensive line, but definitely wrote checks his body couldn't catch, couldn't cash. Um, and so I think now if you have this kid who can high point, he can save Rivers a little bit here. Rivers just needs to heave it up. He doesn't need to be as precise. And you saw him do it with Williams, as you mentioned. So maybe that's the fit in this window that the Colts are trying to procure for themselves. Yeah, and hey, who was Phil Rivers, you know, getting bailed out by? Mike Williams, yeah. right? So it all comes full circle. I like your pick. It's even better than mine, to be totally honest. This one is a little bit of a kind of a cute backstory thing. I mean, even though Higgins grew up in, in Tennessee, he was a Bengals fan, which I think, you know, we got to give him mention for that. Because if you're a Bengals fan and proudly <laughs> touted, God bless you, right? You know, the, good for you. I, no shame there. So, you know, I'm sort of thinking is is the first pick of the second round too early? Who knows? But I'd like to see them plan for life after A.J. Green. And who was Higgins' favorite receiver to model his game after growing up? It was him. So, Having a year with Green as his mentor, remember they kept him around. They knew it was important to convince Joe Burrow, we're trying to build something here. We're going to spend in free agency. We're going to franchise uh, A.J. Green. I think it would be a nice way to kind of hand off and just watching A.J. Green run routes and do his craft every single day, be re-energized by having Burrow there. You know, all the weapons they're starting to put together there. It wouldn't be too bad to plan for for the the next phase of of uh, of that's of their you know of their franchise. I'm like getting his narrative. eventual replacement. Yeah, and no, I had to build a little bit. Yeah, it was it, it, you did, But also, what better way for Higgins to maybe heal some of those wounds of a lost national championship than with Joe Burrow, the quarterback yes. that bested his squad? Kumbaya, you know what I mean. <laughs> Bring it home. Have some love facts build that bond right and and i mean burrow you know had two of the more talented receivers in college football last year you know it, it would be nice to get him a young guy of this sort of makeup who could who could help him with the downfield stuff let's talk about our next receiver another player with nfl bloodlines michael pittman jr his dad is michael pittman senior pittman right. uh the pittman jr played for usc um his dad michael pittman was a was a running back and he, I believe he played for the Cardinals and the Bucks, Bucks. and he won a yep. ring in Gruden, in the Gruden Bowl, right? As a, as a I running think so. back, I think he was the starting back. Yeah, two thousand and two season for Tampa Bay. Um, regardless, so so Michael Pittman Jr. not a running back like his dad, a receiver though he does seem to run like tough and ruggedly and you can see that his dad definitely coached him because there's definitely some running he runs like a running back particularly after the catch um what was the word that I mean that definitely uh I'll just say mine that shaded as I was watching I was like wow this kid like doesn't 
I'm going to say it. I live in L.A., right? Like this kid doesn't play <laughs> like a like a fancy USC player. This kid plays much tougher than a dude who has a YouTube show with his girlfriend, like which, by right. the way, I spent too much time watching. You don't <laughs> need to do it. It's called Michael and Gianna. There are way too many subscribers. It explains a whole lot about the world. Anyway, about LA. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but this kid has swag mm-hmm. and not in the fancy USC spoiled children, University of Spoiled <laughs> Children kind of way, but actual grown ass man swag on the field, which yeah. I am a sucker for toughness. I've, I loved Anth- a very different player than Anthony Miller but or Debo Samuel, but those are two players of the last two years that I really, really liked. And that's a part of a shade of Pittman's game that really endeared me to him. Yeah, my word was super boring, and I kind of want to change it on the fly here. I used productive, which I think I've probably used only about 14 times so far. Uh, but let's do this. I got a good one for you that I just came up with on the fly. Quarterback proof, right? They had three different quarterbacks who played for USC this year, and Pittman was productive no matter who was throwing mm-hmm. them the football, right? Mm-hmm. They had to sort of change the offense with Slovis in there a little bit. I mean, everything sort of revolved around who was under center, but for Pittman, consistently productive every single week. So if you allow the hyphenated word, the cluster word, if you will, QB proof is 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 my number is my my word there because I love guys like that, right? I mean, we were talking about Rager earlier. It wasn't his fault, but in the same sense that if you can get open, open enough and separate even without great speed. Uh, you know, the quarterback's eventually going to find you the ball. And that's what they did. Did he have a good receiver opposite him, Tyler Vaughn's? Yes. But Pittman was consistently the guy every single week who they kind of formulated the game plan around. And as the process has gone on, he's just slowly kind of inched up my board. I, don't, I see no reason why he shouldn't be one of the better uh, pass catchers in this class. He's strong, right? Like strong of yeah. mind, lots of confidence, strong hands, excellent body control, boundary awareness, all of those words. But also, it's not just brute strength. It's He's, he's a physical player, 100%, but there's also tempo to his routes. And, I mean, his stiff arm is... Awesome. I I, I yeah. really, really was surprised when I was sitting down to watch like a kid out of USC that this kid had that much elbow throwing in him. And yeah. he's a willing blocker, too. He also is a solid blocker. Um, I think some of the cons might be that he's got some injury concerns. I believe he hurt his shoulder after his junior during his junior year and then needed offseason uh, surgery on the shoulder, which is some want to say why he went back to USC for his senior year instead of just going straight out into the uh, into the draft last year. Um, but he's got this kind of violent playing style, running back-esque running style. And so there might be a little bit of concern about uh, durability. Um, and then, you know, he's not like – he doesn't have like long speed, like elite long speed like, right. like Rager, for example. Yeah, no, the durability questions are there for a good reason. Every year in the past four years, he's had at least one – Notable injury, broken collarbone, sure, uh, had his hand repaired. You mentioned the shoulder as well. I think that was a year, right around a year ago, right after the season in 19, the 18th season. Yeah. Uh, and I think he also had a high ankle in there as well. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But this is a kid who, like you said, I mean, he plays full tilt and he plays on special teams. He's blocked three kicks in his career. He actually ran back a punt for a touchdown. You know, so he's he's used in a lot of different ways. He's got, you know, Great appreciation for, from scouts for his football ability. Not just wide receiver, big guy who can run. No, I mean, he is an actual competitor who does a lot. And I think that alone is, you know, he's going to get the special teams opportunity. He's going to get the opportunity to be an outside receiver. And he was highly productive. 11, you know, uh, receiving touchdowns last year. I, I really like his game. I, I do too. So what's the, what's the need to know stat? Back to that reliability factor. He caught four or more passes in every game in 2019. You think, okay, that's not too great. But if you're thinking about fantasy football terms, a reliability factor, right? Who would you rather have? Like, you know, Derek Mason, I used to draft the guy like in the 15th round every single year and get points every single week out of him, right? Because he'd catch six balls for 65 yards and every three weeks he'd have a touchdown. To me, I was fine with it as my my last receiver I'd play because I knew He's going to produce every single week, four or more catches. I don't care who you are. That's impressive. And he passed the 104-yard mark on five separate occasions. So, again, this is a team that cycled through quarterbacks, didn't have the most you know, consistently productive offense. But here's a guy just making plays every single week. So 
I love that about him. He's got a really high floor from a fantasy perspective and from a real life one, too. We love high floor phrases. We love that phrase in fantasy. High floor is a perfect way to encapsulate this guy's potential. Um, I wrote down that he dropped just 2.8% of his career catchable targets. That's a stat per PFF, right? So again, the reliability situation here. You know, durability might affect his reliability, but when he's on the field, he produces like a man. And your comp, I got to say, I love your comp. I did oh. not go with it because I was like, well, I can't say this. I This is my favorite receiver comp that we have done all, all three episodes. Really? Yeah, I well, love I'm it. In, I'm impressed with myself. Jeez, thank you for that. Yeah. I went out, granted, he's not quite as tall. We're talking about a guy who was one of the, the longer receivers in the NFL during his heyday. But I watched the Utah game, and then I watched one more after that. I want to say it was maybe the Arizona State game. He made a couple – plays downfield where he saw the extension and the ability to separate not just with speed and quickness, but with length. And I thought, that dude looks like Vincent Jackson to me. Remember the old North Colorado receiver, third round pick, and then went to the Charters and had, you know, kind of became a star for a while. He was a fantasy revelation for a few years there. So, you know, another guy who had some injury issues over his career, but was a spectacular player during his heyday. To me, that's kind of who Pittman is. And I, as I made that comp, we were, we were putting this together, I said, maybe I have him as my 51st overall player in the draft. I'm starting to think he should have been closer to 30. But, I mean, I think I undershot a little bit on that one. So, you know, if, if he turns out as good as Jackson or as the guy you comped him to, I think uh, I may have uh, uh, graded him a little too low. Yeah, so I, I he reminds me of Allen Robinson because of that reliability um, for right now in his career. And the reason I like the Van, Vincent Jackson comp so much was, you're right, Jackson's a little bit bigger, but Jackson used his physicality to win. And it yeah. was frankly at the end of his career where he didn't have any burst left. He was not a player like Pittman with a ton of burst, but when right. that started to go, he just couldn't out muscle anymore. And so I think that that's a really nice trajectory for Pittman. But I think Allen Robinson as just a reliable possession type receiver who can yep. do a lot and probably doesn't get as much credit as he should is, is, is a, is a, is a nice, again, a nice high floor player for Pittman and where he can get to. And you remember when, when Robinson came out, I don't think he ran a blazing 40 nope. and it was sort of a weird deal. Like he may have come up lame at the end of it. And so, you know, they gave him a four, six, but he was never really a four, six player. I mean, Alan Robinson pre knee injury could run a lot faster than that too, but he was he was surprisingly quick, like Pittman was. I mean, this was a terrible, terrible, no good year for the three cone drill in the wide receiver group. It was a really disappointing year for for as good as this group is. But Pittman ran a set, uh, six nine six. I want to say, Liz. I mean, for for a Jalen Rager size guy, that's impressive. That's really good for somebody who's two hundred twenty seven or eight pounds. That's that's a different level of good, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. I also, yeah. you know, I did write down Dwayne Bow because there's parts of his game that I think look a little Bow-ish. However, Pittman is unafraid. The reason I like slashed through it is that Pittman is unafraid, at least right now, as a college senior, to um, win, con- win contested balls in traffic. Like he is not afraid to go right. up for a ball in the middle of the field and leave himself exposed, which was the thing Dwayne Bow was ain't never going to do. Never, ever, <laughs> ever. And so that's why also I think Allen Robinson is that guy who will, you know, he'll catch the hospital ball. He's, excuse me, he's playing with Mitch Trubisky. Gets a lot of them thrown his way. So, <laughs> so <laughs> imagine like going like from Blake Bortles. To, to Mitch Trubisky and having that same issue. I mean, that's got to drive. He's a Hall of Fame talent. <laughs> with a <laughs> Hall of Fame the- patience, right? Like yeah. He should go be a kindergarten teacher after this. <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned Colts earlier for your fit for uh, who are we talking about? Higgins, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, see, I see Pittman as an option here too. I think they have the two second round picks. You know, I don't think Pittman's going in round one. I haven't really heard that kind of buzz. Although, again, I'm I'm starting to talk myself into him being a a near first round talent. But you know, just his competitive makeup would fit with that team. You've got the little guy T.Y. Hilton. You know, you've had this rotating cast at tight end. Let's give him a big you know Z receiver out there who can who can do all those things we mentioned. So I I, I like the fit there in Indy. 
I think I think it makes a lot of sense. It brings a toughness to that team that I think T.Y. Hilton always brought, but as he's aging is just generally starting to wane a little bit. Um, and, and definitely a team that needs that boost on the heels of Andrew Luck's uh, unexpected retirement. Uh, so I, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm going to go with the Jags. I know they don't necessarily need a receiver, but if I'm going to comp him to Allen Robinson, everything <laughs> started in Jacksonville and they do have um, a 42nd pick in the second round. Now, I yep. hope that Pittman doesn't fall that far because I do think, as I said when we opened the show, that, you know, one of these receivers, well, this is him, the one that um, has first round potential but is in such a deep class that he's going to fall to the second round I, I think any other year Pittman would have been a first round selection and so I do think maybe the Jags can get lucky and grab him if he's still available uh in the second round yeah I mean look just for the Jaguars just get good players like don't worry about fit don't worry about you know Pittman is absolutely somebody who I you know don't worry about the fact that oh well you've got these other guys I'm with you 100 percent they're clearly rebuilding. They have a ton of draft picks. Go get the, the 10 or 12 best players you can draft. And when you tank for, for Trevor next year, he's got a lot of good targets to throw the ball to. That's right. So Some, that's where I'm going with that. Yeah. Someone reliable. Real quick, because we're on the topic and we talked yeah. about Pittman's uh, special team abilities. Any, We know that Gettleman doesn't trade back, right? He's like never done it. Is there a right. world in which... Gettleman, especially with their new HC, you know, who has special teams, was the special teams coach. Joe you know, Judge. The, yeah. yeah, Joe Judge with the Patriots. Um, is there a world in which, and I think Pittman could be a very Joe Judge type player. They Absolutely. don't really have like an outside, a regular, such a small ball offense. And Pittman would add just a level of oomph to this squad. Yes. Great, great point, because you've got the fast, quick guys, Darius Slayton and, and Golden Tate, you know, Sterling Shepard. You don't really have any kind of physical presence off the top of my head. I mean, and, uh, unless you want to call Evan Engram a wide receiver, you know, in, 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 so in a tight ends body or whatever. But right. yeah, I mean, that's that's it. I think you're right. That's a team that absolutely should should uh, should consider him early in the second round. Just it would be crazy to not see them go defensive, but uh, who knows? Who knows with Gettleman and his, you know, yep. maybe he's going to mess up. Uh, he won't understand the draft queue and press the wrong button. <laughs> I would not put it past him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's switch from receivers to running backs. I told you we had two. We're going to start with AJ Dillon out of Boston College. I mean, we have to talk about this guy's size before we say anything else. He is six <laughs> feet tall, two hundred and forty-seven pounds. Uh, originally committed to University of Michigan, but then flipped to BC. And it is worth noting that he holds the Eagles all-time rushing record with 4,382 yards in three seasons and is wow. 220 yards short of the Atlantic Coast Conference career rushing record. Oh, man. So lots of miles. Well, Od um, odometer rating is, uh, is a thing yes, here. Yes, absolutely. Well, and Liz, I got to tell you, he played in my high school's conference and if you were six foot, 250 pounds, you were pl probably playing offensive guard back then, maybe <laughs> tackle, you know, even, I mean, I, we just didn't see anybody quite like this. We had a pretty big back at the time. It was sort of our fullback in the triple option, but he was like 220 pounds. I couldn't imagine the idea of trying to tackle an AJ Dillon in high school, much less in college. And, and, you know, the word that I came up with was workhorse. And just the fact that every single game, you know, he would be pegged for a minimum of 20 carries and oftentimes up to, I think he had one game where he had 43 touches, something like that against uh, Florida State last year, you know, 40 carries, three catches, something like that. I want to say he had like a dozen games with more than 30 carries. And again, is that the modern NFL back? Probably not. That's my hesitation with him. And you know all too well had this guy come around in 1994, you know, he would have probably been a top five pick in the draft. The way he can move at his size, the toughness, it's not appreciated and it's not utilized uh, the way it was even, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, but certainly 20, 25, 30 years ago. It's interesing, though, because so. I, I want to jump around here, but um, it's interesting because as I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, except there is a back that he reminds both of us True. of who is kind of put a little bit of a wrench into the running backs don't matter argument. 
within, you know, the down the stretch of the past two seasons and certainly during the playoffs, I'm talking about Derrick Henry. I mean, so so my word to go back to it is how I just wrote down how how does it do that big move like that? You know, he's he's like um, that big boy song. I like the way you move. (laughs) The thing I wrote down, like incredible straight line speed for a back his size, wild amounts of strength. I mean, there's the game against Louisville where he just flings. He tosses a defender off of his back like he's swatting a fly. And he does that. I mean, it is it is a flick of the wrist, Eric. It doesn't look like he's muscling some other, you know, yoked up dude off of him. It is wild. And so, of course, this is a player who's going to draw natural comps to who? Derrick Henry, right? And I yes. wrote a column back in December. I said, you know, if there, or well, maybe it was January or something like that. But I said, if you want to copy the Titans blueprint, there's really only one back in this entire class who comes close. He's not as tall. He's probably not as going to be as natural. You know, I mean, Henry could catch the ball pretty well or whatever. So, but the closest thing to him is the guy who's had 38 touchdowns and, you know, what'd you say, 4,300 yards over three years. I mean, he runs through people, and I think he can do it on the NFL level too, right? I mean, who's the closest? We haven't had too many guys like that. You know, Brandon Jacobs, a couple more. There's just, they're they're kind of unicorns. And that's why I think, if, if given the opportunity, he's got a great chance to be Derrick Henry light, even though it's, you know, it's hard to compare him to anybody. I mean, the the main knock against this kid uh, is, of of course, the burst to a certain degree or the lateral, yeah. the lateral ability, the lateral agility. But it is mostly the odometer rating. Like people are worried that he's been, you know, he's got a bit of an upright running style. And so there might yeah. be too much wear and tear on him. He has limited experiences like as a pass catcher. Again, these are all Derrick Henry things. And yet we've seen how when used... And you're right that the perfect way to phrase it is following the Titans blueprint, which nobody thought worked until they off the Patriots. I'm sorry. I don't want to put any salt into the wound, you know, at the <laughs> end, during the playoffs at the end of the, uh, this, the beginning of this year, my God, it feels, can you believe that there was a Super Bowl like three months this, ago? This calendar year. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense. Right. <laughs> I know yeah. we were, I was in Miami. It's nuts. Um, <laughs> but um, and and that is Derrick Henry. And so when we're looking at landing spots, though, it's there's kind of this schism, right, between people who are uh, following the trajectory of this high flying. Um, you know, you've got Zimmer versus G. Filippo, right? Like in terms of of, of style, you can right. zig or you can zag. And Henry is certainly the zag if done correctly. Where do you think he would fit in? Not just like where do you think he goes, but also where could he be best utilized? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, look, it's you know you're you're still selling an idea on a team, and 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 it's you're right, it's got to fit with the offensive coordinators. You know, this can't be a front office pick. This has also got to be a coaching staff pick in the sense that they have to say we want one of those. So that's why I picked the Eagles because if you look at the Eagles in their pre-draft sort of meetings and things like that, they do want to add a bigger back to the equation. My fear there is that, look, Miles Sanders is special, and he's got he's got to get his chances too. Whereas Dylan, you know, to me, he's, he's best as a workhorse. I don't think you want to give him nine carries a game and say, oh, let's just tenderize the defense. So I don't know if it's an ideal landing spot, but it's one that I could see happening. The other team is the Jets, you know, and, and you say, well, Le'Veon Bell's there. What do you mean? yes. But how long is Le'Veon Bell going to be there? And he's somebody with, you know, an odometer that we have to keep looking at as well. And, and you know, if you want to help Sam Darnold out, I think a run game is going to help as well. And without perfect blocking up front, without a home run threat, you still need somebody to get first down. Are you going to want to hand it to Le'Veon Bell when it's fourth and one, third and two? I, I don't know. Maybe. But you could also preserve him and use him more with his receiving skills and his outside zone skills and and let Dylan have the inside stuff. I don't know. So that, that was, those are two that I came up with that I thought could, 
could make some sense. But I like your picks too. You have, especially your first one there that you listed, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't really, I don't, I'm not going to mention my second one because I don't love that one that much. It was New okay. Orleans, but Pretend I'm more sold on the receiver in New Orleans instead. Um, <laughs> yes. Also to your, I like your Jets point a lot. Also because maybe if Adam Gase gets to pick the running back that he wants on his squad, there might be, I mean, this is far-fetched, some harmony in in New Jersey for this squad. Imagine so, that, right? Um, I don't like Buffalo from a fantasy perspective as a landing spot for Dylan because I really like Devin Singletary. I really, yeah. I would really like to see him handle a, a real load. And he was, you know, running between tackles and doing some some real advanced work towards the end of of last year. Um, and he was getting some decent looks, but I think that McDermott understands a workhorse likes the idea of that um doesn't need to be sold on this as a philosophy offensively and so i think that um you could see dylan kind of doing everything that they had frank gore in there to do previously yeah and more yep well it's like you know i mean with dylan you're basically saying hey you're getting a range rover that's the good news the bad news it's got a hundred thousand miles on it but it yeah, still it's runs always well, be you know? too. Yeah, right. Yeah, got to work on it a little bit, but but yeah, I I like that, and I could see it happening, and and I actually have the bills for uh, for our next back on this list. All right, well, let's talk about Zach Moss uh, out of Utah. He grew up, you know, just outside of Miami. We're talking about Miami a little bit more. Yeah. I have I have a question for you because this is a play. You see these players commit to a particular university or college first, and then they change their mind. This yeah. is a player who co- committed to the University of Miami and then ended up going to Utah. Yep. Can you talk about why that happens as, you know, our draft specialist? And I believe in this situation, it was because he wanted to go with his high school teammates to the same school and preserve some of the the unity that he had or success that he had found in high school. But in general, is that the main reason it happens? Yeah, I mean, it's going to depend on the player, right? You're right. In in Moss's case, I mean, he wanted to follow Tyler Huntley and one other player escapes my memory right at this moment. But Simpkins, I think. Yeah, yeah. So they were they were tight. They wanted to keep the thing going. You know, they found a home at Utah. Huntley was a little bit of a different style of quarterback, like an unrefined Lamar Jackson in some ways. So, you know, not everybody was convinced he should play that position. Utah said, we love you as a quarterback. I think Moss was on board as well. So I, I wanted to know that story, too. And then a few people wrote about it this past season because Moss was one of my favorite runners in the 2018 season. Mm. And he would have come out last year had he not gotten hurt in the bowl game. So this is, you know, this has been a theme. And that was my one word was sad because he might be my my RB1 in this entire wow. group this year. Right. Had he not had the injuries, you know, again, we would have been talking about a year ago, but still, I love him. I think he's a fantastic, instinctive runner. He can run with power. He can glide. You know, he can catch the ball extremely well. He's got everything I think you want. But the injuries have been a major, major part of the story. And it leaves his, his, you know, his ending spot unknown. I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I don't know if it's third round, fourth, or what. So to me, it's a little sad that, you know, you already have a position that's devalued. Now you have a guy who's banged mm-hmm. up on top of it. So, Well, and it's not. It wasn't just the knee injury and subsequent surgery after 2018. Right. But those tweaks followed him to the combine. Because you're right. Like, this is a guy that everybody... And it's interesting that we're juxtaposing him to Dylan. Because Dylan went to the combine and, like, blew everyone's mind. And they were right. like, wow, look at this unicorn. Who knew this existed? And then Moss <laughs> tweaked his hamstring, I believe, on the vertical jump. And then had to run the 40 and really disappointed uh, he ended yeah. up with an official time of 4.65 but that was after he ran like a 4.7 or something yeah. you know and he also he like tied for second worst on the bench press with 19 reps so it's hard to see that you know we talked last week about players when the lights are brightest they perform Jonathan Taylor was the was the player that we were talking about in that regard and I think no no I think it was Clyde Edwards Hilaire that we were talking about like when Uh the moment is big he can get through it and it just feels like Moss when it matters most has a hiccup maybe it's not you know a a fumble but it's an injury it is also worth noting though that Adam Schefter reported on the ninth of last week that um uh any of the NFL teams, they all notified Zach Moss, who underwent that knee surgery in 2018, that his surgically repaired knee did check out well, and that was per his agent. So 
at least that's the line that is being given, right? Maybe, maybe that's put out there by his agent. Maybe it's not. But everybody is supposed to know that his knee checked out. Agents have never lied before. Never, 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 never stretched the truth at all right now. But you're right. I mean, there's legitimate concern, especially with how that knee injury happened. Quick story. I mean, he was basically climbing up in the bed and it locked up on him. You know, and it's Oof. sort of, you know, it's the sort of thing like he was like, whoa, is this bad or am I just sore? What's going on? It wasn't even it was after a practice, I want to say. And he was unable to play the next week and he's played through pain and he's had the shoulder injury, and I'm trying to think of the other one, ankle injury as well, last year, early in the season. So it's just been one thing after another. He's a little on the older side, too. I mean, he's going to be 23. That's not that big a deal. But the fact that he's missed some sort of significant time each of the years he's been in college to injury, I mean, that really, really worries you a little bit, especially given the fact that the knee injury kind of just sort of came out of nowhere. It may have been... Mm -hmm. Lack of cartilage, wear and tear, who knows? You know, his meniscus could be compromised. I mean, there's all these different theories on what he's going to be. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just – I love the fact that he can run with power, but he can also catch the ball very well. Average 10.4 uh, yards per catch over his career, which is great for running back. And almost 14 yards the receiver, 13.8. Reliable, made people miss. I think his receiving ability might get undersold just a little bit. I like that you're highlighting that. I, I wrote down when I was watching him uh, chill. Like, they're, not because he needs to chill, but there is a very calm, Absolutely. physical, strong presence about him. He is a boom and chill. He, you know, he's, <laughs> he's elusive. You're right, for a big-framed guy. And yeah. he's got this open-armed spin move that's a little bit like a pro-wrestling kind of helicopter <laughs> thing that's awesome. But he's very patient. Uh, he knows how to lower his shoulder. He doesn't shy away from contact. He can drag a pile. And he, like, absorbs contact, right? Like, there are some uh, running backs, I feel like, that it's all forward motion. But Moss does seem to absorb the contact and then keep going. It's almost sometimes like you're watching him run through quicksand, but not in a um, – not in a slow way, but just in a very like poised, I guess, way. I, I, I guess my major con that I saw was that he wins by breaking tackles, not by evading or tricking yeah. tacklers. Yep. I was actually looking down here. You know, we were talking about using our notepads, like our actual written notepads, yeah. you know, the, the grandparents that we are, right? <laughs> I was actually, I was looking to see if my notepad, the first two words on my Zach Moss write-up for this year was, contact balance and that was really what you just described but you're right he doesn't really outrun people he doesn't outmaneuver people that much does he have some subtleness to his to his delivery absolutely but yeah the 40 time in his best condition maybe it's a four or five low four or five something like that he's not going to win a ton of foot races but he's in a very efficient runner again i'm just praying that he gets a shot and that he has some sort of a healthy career i mean then again yeah, Frank Gore, you know, we talked about him coming out of college. He was a third round pick because he was a health risk. So sometimes these guys are able to find a way. You're going to get a value if he, if he slips to the third round for sure. Give I me, agree. Give me a need to know stat and then we'll ro roll into player comp. Well, yeah, piggybacking off that yards per catch I mentioned earlier, he caught 85 per, uh, point, sorry, 85.7% of his target. So yeah, for a running back, you expect it to be high. A lot of screen passes, swing passes, dump offs, right? But given the fact that he averaged so high a yards per catch, I thought that was impressive. He ran arrow routes. He ran, you know, the wheel route down the sideline occasionally. So he has a little bit more of an advanced route tree for any running back, but really a bigger running back like he is. So I kind of like that ability. I'm going to talk about a stat in reference, since this is the last running back we're going to discuss for this little mini series, um, his it, I'm referencing two others. So per Sports Info Solutions, seventy he had seventy four broken tackles in 2019, which was RB five. For reference, Jonathan Taylor was the RB three with eighty three, and AJ Dillon, who we just talked about, was RB four with seventy eight. Wow. Yep. You know, and also uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. RB6 with 73. So you have got this, this like muss of tackle breaking talent 
yep. at the top of this draft class. And I think in any other year, you're right. Last year, had Moss not gotten hurt and was able to declare, he would have been at the top of this. So I do. I think we both agree that he is going to be a value wherever he lands. Give me a comp and landing spot then. And it just occurred to me too. I bet you Moss had the fewest carries of any of those guys too. So I mean, more yeah. broken tackles per carry too. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Kareem Hunt, not character wise. We're not mm-hmm. talking about that, but the fact that he's a big, fluid guy who can spin and kind of bounce off tackles the way Hunt can. And I mean, you know, the the game that put the hair on my neck up on its, you know, uh, standing up was when Hunt was split out as a receiver against the Patriots. You know running you know complex wide receiver routes and you said to yourself whoo i mean this guy is a different dude right and so that's kind of what you would see with a healthy zach moss who do you got i got cj anderson i i know that that might not be the most complimentary um no i like cj he's my dude you yeah. know I, as, as someone who was rooting for the rams in 2018 uh, I think there was a lot of overlap. It's like the little teapot that could. And yes. so I feel like Moss has a lot of that same and also just like chill, chill vibes about him. So <laughs> I comped him there. So maybe you have a ceiling and a floor comp between Eric and I in this situation. But yeah. I definitely see where you're coming full circle with your point about Frank Gore because you have him going to Buffalo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier with, I think it was Dylan, you said it could be a good fit there too. I mean, what I love is that you have Singletary, you have some other guys already there. The, the need to press him into a big role isn't huge right now. Right. So, you know, I think they could, they could be smart about how they use him. you know, really, res- you know, keep his practice uh, reps to a limit and that sort of thing. Cause I think he's a mature enough player where he could kind of fold right in running backs, not one of those spots where you need a, a million reps or anything too. So I think they could do a pretty good job of adding a little bit more pop to that backfield while also having somebody who's capable of carrying the load from day one. But, you know, I mean, I I don't know. We'll see. It seems like you have the sort of the same thinking in terms of two different teams. I do. So, I mean, I said CJ Anderson and the Rams, obviously now with Todd Gurley in Atlanta need to fill that backfield. Granted, they have draft picks. They're, they're littered with draft picks at the position from previous years. John Gel- Kelly is still kicking around on that roster. I know. <laughs> I liked him a lot too. Daryl Henderson is there, but. I think maybe there might be some impetus to add more oomph, if you will, uh, to that to that backfield. And if they got Moss at a value, that could maybe be a replacement. Um, otherwise, I actually really like Arizona as a landing spot. That's the one that I'm the most hopeful for. I think he'd be a nice complement to Kenyon Drake. They do different things. I don't yep. believe, and all of the truthers can at me, I don't believe that Kenyon Drake is an every down back. I'm never going to believe it. I'd like to see him stay on the field. And I think if he had a compliment and this were like a 60-40 split with a player like Moss, that backfield could be, you know, also less of a liability. Still got a bad O-line, even if they have a wildly elusive little uh, video game character as a quarterback. So I'd like to see all of that. One traditional piece in a non-traditional NFL offense, please. Absolutely. No, I think it's great. I like both those fits. I mean, it makes a ton of sense in Arizona. It makes sense in L.A. too. I mean, remember when McVay was in Washington? You know, he was saddled with like Robert Kelly and Matt Jones for a while at running Mm -hmm. back. And he made good use of those guys. Like they were running for four and five yards a carry. And so, I mean, I could see a little bit more of, you know, I mean, Todd Gurley could run in between the tackles, but I could see somebody like Moss who can thrive in those situations work there as well. So full approval on both those spots. I think it would, it would make sense in either one. Sorry about that little interruption. Oh, yeah. oh no, I I loved it. <laughs> I, I like, I really enjoy this, Eric. Like I, we have to figure out a way to do this after the draft yeah. because I so like listening. It's because everyone should know that like we don't talk before this. Like I have my notes, you have your notes. Yeah. We're not sitting here calling each other and be like, well, I don't know. What do you think of that <laughs> Alabama game? Like that's not how we roll. So it's interesting <laughs> when we fill out the doc and we talk to see where we agree and disagree. And I don't know, I really appreciate having this opportunity because we're all sitting in these 
tiny little quarantined lives. Yeah. Um, thinking about watching the same players. Also, they all start to, after a while, kind of look the same. <laughs> oh, you're you're this you're preaching to the choir. This has been my life since like June, right? I'm like, wait, who's Michael Pittman again? Right, yeah. But which one is ba- he? back up just a second here? You just came up with a great podcast name, Doc and, and Talk, right? I mean, that that would that would kind of work. Doc and talk. All right. Right? Maybe. It- Yes, I'm I'm 100% Brett Raider. Let's do it. That's our producer. Like, doc and talk it is. Um, so, but Eric and I, we're not quite done yet. We will be back yeah. for another, our final rookie snapshot next week. And we're going to talk about quarterbacks. So there are more than just two quarterbacks in the draft. We'll talk about five guys. And then Matt Harmon and I will be back for a regularly scheduled Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast later in the week. In the meantime... Check out the Yahoo NFL podcast and follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF, and that is at Eric underscore Edholm. We're out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media at skullduggery pod